the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, I want to think about that scene in Sodom and Gomorrah and the world of hurt that those two cities were in. And I want to remind us that we sometimes find ourselves in that same world of hurt. That uh, there are in the world uh, terrible things that happen. There are terrible things that happen uh, that people do, that people sin. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, that's clearly the problem. And uh, there is a cry that goes up from Sodom and Gomorrah. And the, the cry says, how long, O oh Lord, uh, are you going to let this go on? Help. That's a cry that we may have uttered a few times ourselves in our lives when we found ourselves in the swirling, uh, chaotic times of life. And this morning, I want us to think about uh, the tools that God has given us to respond when we find ourselves in that swirling chaos, uh, when we have suffered wrong and injury, uh, when we may ourselves have committed wrong and injury, and we realize the trouble that we're in. So the people cry out, and they say, help, and the Lord hears them. The first thing we know from Scripture is that over and over and over again, the Lord hears people who are in trouble. He hears the Israelites when they are enslaved in Egypt. Uh, they cry out to him, and then the whole story of Exodus and Moses and the deliverance unfolds. In the Gospels, we see Jesus uh, hearing from those who are blind, whose son has died, the woman whose son has died, those who are sick and injured. And when people cry out, help, the Lord hears. And in this case, uh, we have Abraham, and he's offering another kind of prayer, which is intercession. So the first kind of prayer is that bubbling up, that cry of distress that goes up to the Lord, help. And then we see Abraham engaging in this type of prayer intercession. He says, Lord, if you can find 50 people in that city, will you spare it? If there are 50 just people, will you be merciful? And the Lord says, yes. And then he keeps going, right? He says, if you find 10, and if you find 30, and if you find 20, and if you find 10, uh, and so he's, we, have, we see the justice of the Lord. He recognizes the wrong that has been done. And he uh, names it as wrong. And he's prepared to act on it. And then we see the mercy that Abraham is calling on. He knows that God is merciful. Because mixed in with all those troublemakers, he's hoping are some righteous people. And maybe they won't also have to suffer. So Abraham is interceding on behalf of those righteous people. And hopefully we've interceded for people in our lives who are in trouble. And hopefully people in our lives have interceded for us and cried out to the Lord on our behalf. We see that in the New Testament also. Uh, when Jesus with the friends of uh, the paralytic who are lowering the paralytic through the hole in the roof and asking for mercy on his behalf. So we know that intercession is powerful. When we cry out to the Lord on behalf of others who are in trouble, we know that the Lord hears. Well, I'll just tell you the spoiler alert of the story of Sodom is the Lord can only find one righteous person. They are really in trouble, right? And so the Lord rescues Lot and his family uh, because there's, not, there's no more than one righteous person or family in that whole city, those two cities. So that is a, uh, even the Lord's mercy is not enough uh, in that case because his justice uh, comes into play there. We know that we have a Savior who stands for that mercy in our lives. That's Jesus Christ. 
He comes between us and the judgment and just mercy of God, or judgment of God, uh, when we do wrong. Uh, Jesus puts Himself in between, right? He puts us between, Himself between us and God's righteous judgment of us, and He stands between. And, and in Corinthians, that's what it talks about, right? All of our sin, all of our debt, which we can imagine gets piled pretty high. I was kind of picturing that. How high does that debt get piled up uh, in our lives? And the Lord takes all of that, and he nails it to the cross, and he removes it, right? And then he says, walk a righteous life in Corinthians. That's what Paul is talking about. This is one of those things that I find very fascinating. Because I keep thinking, how do you do that? How do you walk in Christ? How do you walk in Christ? I'm kind of a practical person. I always like to know the how. Some people get real um, into the why, and they get real into the the theology and doctrinal theology. Uh, But I always want to know, how do you do that? What does that look like in your life to walk in obedience to Christ? And what does it look like when you're in trouble? When you're in personal trouble, personal crisis? A bad, bad things happen. Someone in your life who's close to you dies. A job loss. A divorce. A bankruptcy. A child is sick or dying. Right? Those bad things happen in our lives and in the lives of people around us. Uh, terrible things. How do we continue to walk in the love and faithfulness of Christ and hold on to that belief in God's goodness when there are troubles in our life? Let's go a step farther. How do we do that when there are troubles in society at large? When we are in a place like Sodom and Gomorrah, perhaps, uh, where the culture around us is not supporting us in our faith. It's asking us to turn away, to fall into despair, to fall into criticism of others, to fall into bad habits, uh, to be critical. How is it that we can maintain our eyes on Jesus? Because We want to lose that. We want to let that go. We want to turn away from that. We want to let that slip through our fingers. And uh, the church, obviously, is one place where we hope uh, we're in a good church and we're, um, and we're, we're supporting one another. That's what we're called to do Sunday by Sunday, to come together and to support one another and to hold each other up in our trials and to remind one another of the faithfulness of God, uh, that Jesus Christ is that Savior who puts himself between us and the just judgment of God, who puts himself between us and death, who puts himself between us and our sorrow and grief, and who takes all that and removes it. That's the job of the church on Sunday morning, is to encourage one another. So I hope when you prepare to come to church every Sunday, that's what you're thinking about. How am I going to encourage and lift up my fellow brothers and sisters? How am I going to uh, remind them of uh, God's faithfulness? And I see it in our parish every week. I see people praying for one another. I see people lifting one another up and encouraging one another. So I I believe that that is something uh, that you're doing in preparation because I see it uh, and evidence of it in our parish, which is a great blessing. I also think that there is an emergency toolkit, and that's what I wanted to talk about this morning. That church offers us, and especially our Anglican tradition offers us, it's called the Book of Common Prayer. And it's an emergency toolkit for uh, how to hold on and build one's faith throughout the week, between Sundays. So uh, the Book of Common Prayer came into existence about 500 years ago in England. 
Uh, up until that time, the services were in Latin, so a foreign tongue to most of the residents of England. And the reformers of the Church of England said two things were important. The Holy Scriptures need to be in the language of the people. This is a huge thing. There are some religions where to read the holy book of that religion, you have to learn a foreign language because they don't translate their scriptures. The scriptures were written in one language and you have to read it in that language and become proficient in that language. From the beginning, the church has, the Christian church has taken on and Christians very early on were copying books of scripture and they were translating it into all the different languages that people spoke. We see that at Pentecost, right? That's the miracle of Pentecost is that the gospel is spoken in the languages of the people. And the church noticed that, and they said, we need to translate the scripture into the languages of the people. So throughout the Christian history, there have been translators busily at work translating uh, from Greek and from Hebrew, the original languages, into English and Arabic and uh, Native American languages and Spanish and Russian and all kinds of languages, Chinese. All the languages, uh, the Christian church has had this motivation to get the scriptures into the language of the people so that they could, on their own and in their own languages, hear the word of God. Rather than making everybody conform to the original language, we all had to learn Hebrew and Greek, the church said, no, we're going to translate, because that's what God did at Pentecost, the gospel into foreign languages, into new languages and the languages of the people. Sometimes this is a little tricky. If you've ever been to a Bible study and you know that translations can be a little bit different from one another. Uh, but what makes this possible, I was thinking about that and I realized what makes that possible is the gift that the Lord says he's going to give to us uh, in this passage from Luke when he gives us the Holy Spirit. Because we trust that whatever failings are in the nature of the translation and in the nature of the translators, because human beings are doing the translating, and it's a tough work. If you're bilingual in any way, it's very hard to get something perfect from one language to another. Nuances are different, and the word order is different, and all kinds of things are different. But the Lord says, when we're baptized, he gives us the Holy Spirit. So whatever is lacking in that translation, we can call upon the Lord in the Holy Spirit to make known to us his word, which is his desire to make known to us his word and his calling so that we can be like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and cry out when we're in trouble. Or we can be like the Abraham and intercede uh, on behalf of others. Or we can learn set prayers, which is what the Gospel of Luke talks about this morning. Right? So the first two, those intercession and that crying out, are like they just bubble up out of you. And that's the kind of prayer we do all the time. We're in trouble, we cry out. We pray freely. And then, in the, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, in this passage from Luke in chapter 11, and also appears in Matthew, uh, the Lord says, there's a certain way I want you to pray with discipline. I want you to pray using certain words. Right? The Lord's Prayer. And Christians have been saying that prayer for 2,000 years. Yeah, that's a long time, 2,000 years, right? In all kinds of languages. Because Jesus didn't originally say it in English. Our trans, ours, when we say it in English, we're saying it in translation. Uh, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Lord is changing our hearts and speaking through those words to us. And we're speaking back to God because he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God indwells the world uh, through the incarnation and through the sacraments and through uh, the Holy Spirit. So we have God close to us to help us to understand what he's saying. 
And those said prayers can be so important because sometimes those tragedies I was talking about are so big that we don't even have words for them uh, that, that bubble up out of us. There are just no words. Facing the death of a child, what do you say? Uh, facing the death of a loved one, what do you say? We're just inarticulate before the Lord in those times. Our hearts are so broken that the most articulate people lose words. And so the church has given us a gift, the Anglican tradition in particular, they have given us the Book of Common Prayer, prayers in our language that we uh, speak, English, and prayers that are solid in theology. All the prayers in this book have been uh, tested throughout the Spirit uh, and tested through the church, and they are solid, and they contain solid theology. Preachers may wander off and get into tangentials. We may get stuck in our own imaginations sometimes, uh, but the Book of Common Prayer is uh, the book, the words of Scripture arranged for prayer. So it is always going to give us solid words for those difficult times. Sometimes joy. We're so joyful we don't know what to pray, right? You're so happy you don't know what to pray. That can be the case as well. Uh, but it, the Book of Common Prayer is always going to have those solid, uh, time-tested, church-tested, tradition-tested, scripture-tested prayers and principles of theology that we can rely on uh, rather than relying on our own understanding uh, but relying on the tradition of the church. And I would say, this is the part that interests me, especially, remember I was mentioning when the culture and the things around us start going off and uh, trying to get us to be distracted by temptations or different things. How do we continue to pass on the faith uh, to the next generation and maintain the faith in our own homes? How do we do that? Coming to church for one and a half hours on Sunday, folks, is not enough. I'll just tell you that. We cannot maintain our faith. We cannot teach our children. We cannot disciple. We cannot support ourselves and sustain our Christian faith with one hour on Sundays. However, the Book of Common Prayer has some wonderful daily prayers. Now, I don't pray the daily prayers every day, but I have a habit of praying them most days. And uh, they're at the front of the book. It's morning prayer, which is what we're praying this morning. There's also some prayers in here for families that are a bit shorter, uh, so those can be a good place to start. At Good Shepherd School Project, that's what our kids are learning. Our students are learning how to lead corporate worship from uh, pages 67 in your prayer book, daily morning prayer for families, family prayer in the morning. So they're learning how to lead worship together. And that structure, that discipline, following on the example of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, can help us uh, to, to build uh, to a structure of faith that can take us through the storms of life and the vagaries of culture and all those difficulties that come to us. It can help us shape our minds and our spirits with daily reading of scripture and uh, with daily prayer and it, it makes it holds us to account because sometimes it asks us to do things we in our natural selves don't want to do. It asks us uh, in the burial service tomorrow that we'll have for one of our dearly beloved parishioners who passed away, we will give thanks to God. So even in grief, the church is reminding us to give thanks to God, and it reminds us of the truths of the creeds, that God, no matter how we feel about it, is still the, the Savior who puts himself between us and death, that Jesus is still who he said he was. Uh, so all of those creeds and those statements can sometimes call us back to account when we start to want to wander off or wander here and there 
uh, when we are reminded uh, to pray for people we don't like, or we're reminded to pray, uh, give thanks when we don't want to, or whatever it is. In our natural selves, we might not be able to do that. Uh, but with the reminder from the church holding us to account, we can remember and learn how to pray in that wider, bigger, more disciplined way. So I would say your emergency toolkit, I'd propose three things that you need in your emergency toolkit. First, obviously, a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, we have them available. Uh, so please don't leave here without a Bible for everyone in your family. Uh, so everyone should have a Bible at home that they can read from every day. I believe everybody should have a prayer book. So please don't leave here today uh, without a prayer book. We have some in the, in the office or in the library uh, and there for our parishioners to take. So please don't go home without a prayer book. Uh, and if you need some instruction in how to open it and use it, well, there's nothing that I would love to talk to you more than how to pray daily uh, in, in, with your family at home uh, and for yourself at home uh, from the prayer book. Love to have that conversation with you all day long. And there's lots of other people here who I know have a personal discipline of saying the daily office. So I think some of them uh, might be willing as well. I would add in there, this is just my personal recommendation, a hymnal or some kind of Christian music because I think music does something for us in our spirits and in praising the Lord that is just beautiful. So when we think about how it is that we can maintain uh, our lives and our faith through difficulties, trials, whatever it is, uh, just like you maybe have a disaster preparedness kit from uh, recommended by the Red Cross with candles and whatever else, you know, emergency food supplies, water, all those kinds of things. How much more do we need a spiritual emergency preparedness kit with a Bible, a prayer book, uh, and a hymnal so that we can praise our Lord day after day and follow him um, through all the things that will come our way. Amen. Amen.